scripture this morning will be taken from Psalms 99, starting in verse 1 through 5. The Lord reigned, let the people tremble. He sitteth before between the cherubims, let the earth be living. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise the great and terrible name of him, for it is holy. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou doest establish equity that executeth judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Good morning, church. It's good to see each and every one of you here today. Thank you so much for coming our way and being with us and having the opportunity to come before our, our God in worship. Amen? I hope that you've had the opportunity to pick up an announcement sheet. Lots of things going on, and I, I just want to uh, reiterate some things and draw your attention to some things. I, I again want to encourage you to be back tonight as Dakota will be with us uh, telling about the work that he did this summer up in Kentucky. Uh, he grew up here and is a representation of the work that's gone on here and the people of this church. And so we're thankful for the work that he's done. I just want to encourage you to be here to encourage him, to encourage him in the work that he's done, but also to continue that work and to continue to set an example uh, for others. Uh, in addition to the men's uh, prayer time this week, uh, I want you to note on the back that there will also be coming up a men's night out. Uh, I believe it's yeah. set the 21st, but I think... Uh, last we talked, that may change to next week. Uh, so look for those changes, but that will be coming up in a few weeks over at Crazy Case Steakhouse. So uh, if you would like to be a part of that, men, uh, sign the list in the foyer. Uh, last week we mentioned about all the sign up lists over there, a lot of things going on. Make sure you always take note uh, to those things. Uh, and also I want to mention, as was already mentioned about uh, we've announced, we've talked about, it's been in the email, about taking up the collection today for the people and the relief in Houston, the data has already mentioned. So I just want to encourage you, I, I, we may have things to do uh, at the close of our service, but I want to encourage you that at the close of our service, Brian's going to come back and he's going to tell us some things about that, tell us how we're going to uh, take that up. So if you would like to have an opportunity to give today, uh, we want to encourage you at the end of our service to uh, just uh, be seated and we'll, uh, Brother Donnie will give us uh, information about that. I usually don't have to move Don't forget about the tailgating coming up. Uh, lots of things coming up. One thing that I've been meaning to say something about and I failed to do so, uh, and maybe think about Dakota coming back, but last month when Ben uh, Coleman was here, on Sunday night he had us to do something that was unusual. But everyone that, that did so enjoy it. And he encouraged us to get up and move to a different spot than what we normally do. We tend to be creatures of habit. And so we all shuffled around and got a different view and a different perspective uh, of the service, of, the, of all the things that are going on. And not only that, we were around different people. And so I want to encourage you, and we're not going to do that today, but I want to encourage you from time to time to move to a different section. I know there are others already doing so. It gives us an opportunity to be around people that we're not around. And what a great opportunity that is. Uh, we, we gather together every week. What an opportunity to get to know others among our group. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of John. John chapter 4. 
I appreciate Dwayne reading to us from from Psalm 99. So you have to that, among many places to in the scriptures, talk about worship of God. And I just want to say at the onset of this uh, of this month, as we begin talking about worship, uh, this is this is a topic that's been on my mind and on my heart, and I've struggled with. I, I, it's not I've not struggled because there's not a lot of information out there about it. There's not a lot of information in Scripture about it. But I've struggled with it because this is a heavy, heavy subject. So Donnie and I uh, rode down to Stony Point Christ in Florence this past Wednesday night. And we had the opportunity to talk about some of those things. And I, I believe I got his wheels turning uh, because he's already text, texted me some stuff about about worship from the book of Isaiah. And hopefully throughout this month we'll be able to note some of those. But this is a heavy subject. It's because it affects every one of us. It's something that we talk about doing every first day of the week. And so I hope that this month, as we look at some things in Scripture, as it deals with our worship to God, that we can grow. We can grow in who it is we worship. We can grow in how we worship individually and collectively as the body of Christ. I came across a story about a man talking about when he and his wife, when their kids were younger, they liked to travel. And so in traveling, you stay in... Uh, hotels, right? And in hotels, there's several several levels. And so you do one or two things. You can either climb the stairs or you can get on the elevator. And he talked about the perspective of his daughter when they would get on that elevator. And how when, when they got on by themselves, there was no problem. She could see around. She was able to see. But when people began flooding that elevator... Her perspective changed because she can only see about knee level. And once all those people got that distracted her view, she could not see. And so many times in that situation, he described how his daughter would look up, stretch her arms, and her eyes would say, and along with her voice, Daddy, he'll say what is worship. I'm nervous. So you got to pay attention. Yeah. And he goes on to describe how, in a sense, that's how we worship God. We realize all the things going on and all the negative things, and we, and we, in a sense, reach up and we say, "Father, I need you to pick me up because of you here." And so as we enter into this idea of thinking about worship, I want us to ask the question, first of all, what is worship? The Greek word for worship is proskuneo. And, and it means, strong definition says, to kiss the hand toward one in a token of reverence. In that definition, he goes on and says, particularly among uh, the Orientals, it has the idea of to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. And we see that throughout many religious groups throughout the world, do we not? We see that position of worship, bowing literally down before the one to give worship or reverence to. Another definition suggests the meaning to kiss 
like a dog licking his master's hand. In other words, it, that dog is doing that to say, you are master. I trust you. I bow to you. I humble myself to you. If you go to good old Webster's dictionary, you'll find a dictionary like this. To honor or reverence as a divine being or supernatural power. To regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. An example that Webster gives, a celebrity is worshipped by her fans. I don't know. None of the fans. Most people understand the Most of us recognize as bowing down as a position indicating worship or honor or reverence to someone. But many times for the human race, the issue is not the position. The issue is not understanding uh, worship and what it means. The issue becomes what we worship. Do you remember in the book of Acts chapter 17? Acts chapter 17, Paul there uh, is entered the city of Athens and, and he goes into the Areopagus and he declares to them, listen, I have been throughout your city and I've noticed all of your objects of worship. We used to be able to I've noticed that you are them. a religious Sometimes people. In other words, you have many objects of worship that makes you religious. And because I've noticed that you don't want to leave anyone out, I've even noticed the altar to the unknown God. Him, Paul says, I declare to you. You see, what was their problem? The problem wasn't that they didn't know what worship meant. The problem wasn't that they didn't understand how uh, uh, worship and the idea of worship the problem was what they were worshiping. We know throughout scripture that means God God. Do you reckon we have objects of worship in our world today? A lot of people believe in God. A lot of people claim to worship God. But it seems through everyday life, there are other options of worship. Sports things. Outside. Outside. And I was excited to be able to sit down and watch some of those games yesterday. Nothing wrong with watching sports or enjoying our sports scenes. What's the problem? It's when we put them up on the pedestal to become our idol, our form of worship. That's where we find our worth and our value. Many people in our world worship property. It's evident by the things that they strive for. And where they get their value is in their homes or their cars or their clothes or their stuff. Nothing wrong with those things. But when we put those things up on a pedestal, that becomes the thing we strive for and live for. You see, that's worship. The shopping malls, though malls have changed, the idea of going out and buying, and that becomes sometimes with some people a form of addiction. Nothing wrong with buying things, nothing wrong with shopping, but when we put those up on the pedestal and they become the things we worship.
really at the heart of all those is our sin. Is our sin. Think back to the beginning of Scripture. What was it Satan did to Adam and Eve? When he tempted, he tempted them in the garden, and also Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, he tried to do the same thing. What did he say? Listen, listen, Eve, here's the deal. Let me give you the lowdown. You see, what God has been trying to tell you is God is afraid that if you partake of this fruit, that you will become like Him. What has Satan done? Satan tempted Eve and led her into deception, putting herself on the throne where God should be. This is nothing new. This is something that's been a challenge since the beginning of time. He said, you put yourself there. That's where you deserve to be. And it's always interesting to me that Adam and God gave direction to, and Adam gave to Eve. Stood there and did not say a word. Put himself up there too. And so the idea of worship and what worship is is not the issue. The issue becomes what it is and who it is worship. Merrill Tinney says this in his commentary the English word means worship and denotes the worthiness of the individual receiving the special honor due his word. So who is it is worthy, really, I think I changed. of worship? We'll talk about that in a minute. Another person said it this way. Authentic worship is the lifeblood of the body of Christ. Worship is the oxygen by which it breathes, the adrenaline by which the body moves. So we understand what worship is. We understand what it means. But Jesus gives us some insight in John chapter 4. As well as some other passages that we'll look at throughout the month. About what true worship consists of. Look at your Bibles in John chapter 4 there. And I want you to notice, you remember, you remember the setting. This is the setting of the Samaritan woman. Where Jesus and his disciples, they've been baptizing and teaching. And Jesus says he must need to go through or need to go through Samaria. In verse 5, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, he was thirsty. He sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Not only did Jews and Samaritans not like each other, but men didn't speak to women openly out of public. And she's thrown back, What? No, you're a Jew, you're a man, you're talking to me, I'm a Samaritan, and I'm a woman. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. 
where then do you get that living water? She's, she's totally missed the point. She doesn't even realize who she's talking to. You don't even have anything to draw with. How can you give living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us his well and drank from it himself? As well as the sons, as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now notice what the woman did. Now that he's expounding upon this living water, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst again, nor come here to draw. Then Jesus gets at the heart of the matter. Which can indicate where her heart is. Who's on the throne of her life receiving her worship? Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have a husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have a husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you're with now is not your husband. Me and Nikki need to get out. Me and Nikki need to get out. Well, we realize this is somebody different. Sir, I received the new prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain. You see, she's already misunderstanding worship or the opposite of worship. Nikki, you're going to camp out next week. Our fathers say that on this mountain, Mount Gizirium, uh, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. Jesus said there are one who believe me. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Now you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know what we worship for salvation does of, of the Jews, speaking of himself, Jesus. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, there was something that the Jews and the Samaritans both misunderstood. You see, the Samaritans thought Mount Gerizim. That's the place, if you really want to worship truly, that's the place where you ought to worship. And the Jews, well, they know Samaritans and Jews, they don't like each other. But in Jerusalem, that's the place where you ought to worship. And Jesus is saying, now listen. He's looking forward to New Testament Christianity, New Testament worship. He says, listen, there's coming a time, and now is, when you will neither worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying the place of worship is not the issue. No, that doesn't mean, hey, Jesus is saying, let's go out. We can just worship anywhere, wherever I want to, out on the lake or whatever. No, Jesus is looking toward New Testament, the New Testament church, coming together for worship of Almighty God. And it did not include Jerusalem or Mount Jerusalem. It wasn't a have to be in a certain place. That's why as a New Testament church, we have the opportunity. We get to worship Almighty God all over the face of the earth. And the body of Christ gathers for worship. You see, in AD 70, when the temple was destroyed, thousands of Samaritans were slaughtered on Mount Jerusalem. John MacArthur adds, under the new covenant, all external ceremonies and rituals, whether Jewish or Samaritan, became obsolete. 
You see, what was the point? The point was all these rituals and ceremonies that the Jews were going through, they made those the issue. They made those important. And so did the Samaritans. And Jesus says, that's not what it's about. Jesus says, even to a Samaritan, it's not about this mountain. It's not about that precious temple in Jerusalem. It's not about the, all the ornateness of that temple and look what we have built. It's coming a day, Jesus says, when it's not about the temple. It's not about the mountain. It's about God's people coming together. Yes, in places of worship to give us the opportunity to come together. But this is not the worship. The building. The temple. The mountain. It's the God of the mountain. The God of the temple and the God of our lives. Jesus then goes on at the end of that section. And he states there are some specific things involved in true worship. Let's talk about some of those briefly. He says, God is a spirit, and God seeks such worship. You see, Jesus says, listen, if you want to enjoy true worship, you have to have the right object. Unlike the people of Acts chapter 17. Paul tried to direct them to the right object. And you and I in a world like Acts chapter 17 must also direct people to the true object of worship. And that is God. God must always be the object of our worship. And if He is not, it's not acceptable. Bradley, thank you for singing holy, holy, holy. Now, I want to share with you something, but while I do that, I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. I'll meet you there in just a few minutes, but I want you to notice something. This is something that Brother Donald shared with us as it dealt with Isaiah. When Isaiah is called to be a prophet, in Isaiah chapter 6, and it stood, uh, in it stood Seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This morning in our Bible class, in the book of Revelation, we talked about Revelation chapter 4, the throne room scene, this worship scene. And these uh, four creatures, four living creatures and 24 elders, the Bible says they fall down. The four creatures, they cease, uh, do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. powerful places of Scripture, among others, where people, in response to being in the presence of Almighty God, fall down and worship Him, declaring holy, holy, holy. 
in the Hebrew language, that meant the most holy. Merle Tenney's definition, worship. Who is it that is worthy of our worship? God. And when people in the Bible came face to face with God or before God, they fell down and worshipped. They were moved to fall and worship God. Remember in Exodus chapter 32, when Moses, he's up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. And down below, the people, they're crying out for God. And they come to Aaron. And Aaron says, okay, bring me all your gold. They bring him all his gold. And he, and he puts it in, in the fire, melts it down, and he fashions his calf. God knows what's happening. And God doesn't approve. Look at Exodus 32, beginning in verse 5. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early and the next day, offered burnt offerings. And brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up and play. And the Lord said to Moses on the mountain, Go get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They knew, how to, they knew about worship. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that I may that my wrath may burn hot against them and may consume them, and I will make you of you a great nation. You see, when they did this, they changed their object of worship. And God was displeased. God wanted to wipe them off the face of the earth. You said they knew about worship. But they wanted a God they could see, touch, feel, and even maybe control how and when they worshiped Him. God must be at the center of our worship. And we come, we, as we come to a realization of who God is, that makes all the difference in our worship. That's why people in Scripture responded in worship the way they did. Well, there's a lot more to cover. I want to challenge you to look at Psalm chapter 95. Psalm chapter 95, I wish we had time to read it. But that scene of declaring who God is. Worship before God. Declaring God is almighty. God is holy. The more we know about God, through constant study, through spending time in His Word, through spending time in prayer to God, will make all the difference. But Jesus said also that it must be in the right spirit. The meaning of spirit is that the whole person is involved in the act, the entire heart. The, the, the worshiper must have a sincere disposition of mind when he comes to worship God. 
This worship in spirit, someone said, is in contrast to the ritualism that both the Samaritans and the Jews were used to. Notice Acts chapter 17. Paul says there to those Athenians who struggled with their object of worship. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and bread and everything. It's easy to go through the forms of worship, yet our hearts be far from God. Remember what God said, Jesus said in Matthew 15, quoting from Isaiah, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrine to You see, the attitude of true worship is really in the worshiper before they ever come to this You see, that's what makes this such a heavy subject. And I'm not saying this because this is my job. I'm saying this is because what God said. How we live during the week is important to how we worship on Sunday. And I need you. And we need each other to encourage, to love, and to challenge us of how we live when we go out there. Because it makes a difference when we come back together. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 13, God tells Isaiah, as Isaiah is proclaiming this to the people of God and in their worship, he says, Stop bringing meatless offerings. John Smith writes of that situation. There is no indication that the sacrifices themselves were not according to what God had prescribed. They had the right forms. They may have even had good attitudes when they offered them. Their worship was unacceptable because of the way they were living away from worship. That means that there must be an essential harmony between what we do in our corporate official worship and the way we live when we are not Not only is it important to worship God and to know God, but it's important how we live our lives every day. And then finally, Jesus said, those who want to worship God must worship Him. God is the object. Must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Worship to God is demanding. And therefore, He's always given His people instruction and direction in worship. Remember the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus chapter 10. Notice what the Bible says. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. They died before the Lord. You see, they chose to do something that God had not commanded Therefore, God did not accept their worship. Jesus says, true worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Truth is defined as genuine, that which is reliable, trustworthy. John 17 and verse 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. Truth calls for the heart of worship. 
to be consistent with what Scripture teaches. John chapter 8, if you remember that famous passage, Jesus says in verse 31, If you abide in my word, and you are, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How do we find out the truth of how to go about living, which affects the truth of what we do when we come together with God? How do we find that out? By God's word. And you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. The Jews had the right ideas about God. But often we can see in the teachings of Jesus. When they came together in their beautiful temple, place of worship, their heart was far from God. And their worship was not God. The Samaritans, on the other hand, they may have had the right attitude, the right heart, putting their all into their worship, but they had the wrong ideas about God. Jesus says, true worship takes place when they worship the right object with all of their heart. Worshiping God the God has instructed His Living the way God has instructed in His Word. I took care of you for a long time. You owe it to One gentleman it must always begin at the cross. We must worship with the realization of the role we play in the death of Jesus before we can ever worship as the redeemed of God. And even then, we worship in awe and wonder, absolutely amazed at the beauty of God's love, grace, and redemption. Do you remember in the book of Acts, chapter 2? When Peter and those apostles stood up, likely to some of the very people who were there shouting, Crucify Him, Crucify Him. And through the preaching of the truth of Peter, given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit from God, what happened to those people? They realized what they had done. They were convicted of their sin. And as a result of that, they were moved to seek God. With all their heart, they said, what do we do? They all do that. People of Scripture, when they came before God, they were moved to humble themselves before Almighty God. Listen, there are some awesome, awesome, awesome worship songs in Scripture. Some that if we experience ourselves, we too would be moved to bow before Almighty God. But here's your reality. When Jesus died on the cross, one of the awesome things that happened was the bell of the temple was ripped, ripped from top to bottom. Now, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
through faith and obedience in Jesus Christ, the New Testament Christian, child of God, can enter the throne of God. I want to be honest with you for a minute. Contrary to the way a lot of preachers would like to believe, the focal point of worship is my blessing. Open point of our coming together is humbling ourselves, bowing our heart, because we, at this moment, have come through Jesus Christ before the throne room of God. We sit before Almighty God. That's a humbling, awesome. question that's weighed on my heart. And I shared it with Wednesday night. I shared it with my family because I wanted to make a difference for us. I asked this question. If I believed and I lived like Jesus would return in my life, would I make any changes? Would I live any differently? And let us as the body of Christ, ask ourselves the question right now. If we believe Jesus will return in our life, will it affect the way we live? Because the way we live affects the way we work. Would it affect the way we come together to worship? The Lord's invitation is always open. If you have a need to respond to this invitation today, we invite you to come back together and stay in
officers about the uh, special contribution. I uh, failed to mention one thing. Uh, the, if you're helping with the feeding the 10 teen challenge group, a homemade meal, uh, there's going to be a meeting this week tonight at 6 p.m. over here in one of the